When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk, Cosmic Queries Edition, and we've titled this one Fermentation and Flavor Science. Ooh. Welcome, Chuck. Chuck hey, man. man. How are you, buddy? Always good to have you. You're, you. I don't know if people know you're my co-host in Star Talk Sports Edition. That's right. You're quite the sports weenie, I have come to learn. I- <laughs> <laughs> That's a compliment. I'm not sure. You know, when you the word sports and weenie don't really oh, yeah, go so together true, well. You can be weather weenie. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Okay. You're, you're, you're but I fan. like no. I like sports weenie. I'm going to be that. <laughs> no, we need a we need an alliterative thing because weather weenie alliterates. So right. sports, I'll find something else for it. Okay. Cool. But uh, this is about this is about food and and what role fermentation plays. I am a big the, fan of fermentation. Of, of fermented food and can, I, well, not food. Of us, <laughs> <laughs> neither of us have exp- Rec- recreational fermentation. <laughs> neither of us has expertise in this, but we got someone from the Star Talk Rolodex. Yeah, Dr. Ariel Johnson. Ariel, welcome back to Star Talk. Thanks so much for having me back. I think you were last on the show in a live uh, Star Talk Live. It w- I think it was in New York City Town Hall. I, I believe it was. Uh- yeah, well, excellent. Well, thanks for. <laughs> Thanks for coming back. And, Thanks so much for having me back. And we, we did a whole show on food. Let me remind people who you are if you didn't either attend or uh, see that episode. You have a PhD in agricultural and environmental chemistry, which is this is true. Very cool. I'm glad it's true. <laughs> Thank you for verifying. Uh, our crack team of researchers. Came yeah. up with that <laughs> Good about, job. <laughs> our investigative reporters <laughs> found this about you. You're science officer for Good Eats on the Food Network. And you're a food writer with stuff published in the Lucky Peach, I think, L.A. Times. And there's one here called Mold Magazine. That's Mold a thing? Magazine. It's a, it's a uh, speculational magazine about the future of food. So if you're into uh, well, food or design, it's a pretty quite, excellent read. Quite frankly, I don't think you're speculating when you call it mold. That's <laughs> <laughs> just something. It's like, I'm not picking up that magazine. It is, it, 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 well, all, all food will eventually in the future Exactly. There, mold, there's, so. no, there's no speculation there. <laughs> all food plus you will mold. <laughs> I suppose there might be an element of the uh, the, the homonyms of uh, mold mold being fungus and mold being molding like a verb. Yeah, uh, there you go. Uh, right, molding. Right. Let me lead, let me lead off with a question here. So, I think in modern times, where we have modern means of preservation, I think we might have lost track or lost understanding of how fermented foods ever made their way into our diet in the first place, Hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. so, 
you know, why do we have cheese? Well, if I under, if I know my history correctly, this was a, a product of like fermented proteins in a milk or whatever, mm-hmm. milk products that that would last longer than the milk itself in, in the closet. So how, how much, <laughs> is it basically all of fermentation was just to preserve food? Is, is this a fair characterization of it all? Yeah, I mean, most fermentation processes do preserve food, often by adding acids to them or killing off less desirable bacteria and microorganisms. Because I, we, I only want the, de- the desirable bacteria. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, the undesirable bacteria is, is not so good right. for you. You know, your uh, norovirus, which is a virus, obviously, or your, you know, various spoilage, spoilage molds and yeasts. Mm-hmm. Not so tasty. But, I mean, one, one thing I like, a way that I like to think about fermentation is that, like, you know, back in probably not far, that far back in history, but pre-refrigeration and, you know, even even pre-agriculture, most food would ferment pretty quickly. So if you if you milk milk your cow or your goat or whatever sort of a ruminant animal you have hanging around your, your village or your campsite, that milk is going to start fermenting pretty quickly. So vegetables, likewise, if you pick them and store them for a while, will start fermenting. Same with same with grapes or fruit, things like that. So when I think of fermentation, I think of the sugar. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't think of fermented string beans, but I can think of a fermented grape or, or fruit. So how, how do you well, ferment things that don't have sugar in them? Well, string beans actually have sugar in them. So most, most vegetables have like anywhere between like two and even up to like 15% sugar for like- My really mama never told carrot. me that string beans had sugar. Otherwise, I would have eaten <laughs> Just a little bit, okay. yeah. yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe that's yeah. why my mom kept trying to give them to me as dessert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has sugar in it. <laughs> no, well, so like one of the most, one of the most like pervasive fermentations across like Eurasia is fermented cabbage. Yeah. So you see it as like sauerkraut kimchi. in Germany, kimchi in Korea. Swang Kai or Pao Kai across across China's variations on Kislaya Kapusta across more Slavic speaking regions. So I mean that's a vegetable. It's a vegetable that accumulates sugar and you know you can harvest it pretty late and then ferment it to make it last the winter. Right. Wow. And and what's what's the deal with the process? Is it just because it's pre-refrigeration and it's such an old um tradition that they bury the the uh, whatever it is that they fermenting. I've heard about that. What's up with that? What, what is that with that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I th- this is putting on my sort of amateur anthropologist hat more, but you know, one one can imagine situations. You know, human humans pre agriculture and prehistory, even like pre uh, permanent settlements, where you you know forage or harvest to keep them safe and keep them away from scavengers. Once you've already already got them, it, the one of the best ways is to like dig a hole and, you know, line the hole with leaves or something like that and then bury it and come back to it later. Okay, so that wasn't fundamental to the fermenting. So the process, it doesn't really do anything for the process. Well, so burying underground does protect things from oxygen, so it excludes oxygen, which then knocks out a whole category of spoilage microbes like molds. So. So, I mean, if we're talking about like fermented fruits or vegetables, that'll often be lactic acid bacteria. And most lactic acid bacteria doesn't doesn't need oxygen. Some of them don't like oxygen at all. So if you So this um, is a this is a way to tune the microbial yeah. cocktail for yeah. what it is that comes out the other end. It's it's sort of like cooperative microbe farming. Um, yeah. Like n- nudging it in a in a certain direction. Cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And, and so, but wait a minute, isn't um what's the difference then between fermented cabbage and mm-hmm. pickled cabbage. When I think of coleslaw, mm-hmm. I think that it's pickled, not fermented. Is that, right. am I wrong? Yeah, well, so coleslaw, I mean, so so you get into here like a language thing. So like cucumber pickles are usually fermented, but you can also pickle things by adding, just adding acids to them without fermenting. So often using vinegar to pickle. I mean, vinegar is the product of another fermentation. So you're, you know, kind of <laughs> either either doing fermentation or having done fermentation and now using it for something else. But yeah, pick, pickling, especially in America, there's a strong tradition of like vinegar pickling. Right, right. So, so I can grow a grape, drink the grape mm-hmm. juice. The grape juice I don't mm-hmm. drink, I can ferment it and I mm-hmm. can make wine, and then I can ferment yes. the wine and make vinegar, and I can yes. use the vinegar to ferment a cucumber and make a pickle. 
It is it is truly the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. So all I need is some is some grapes. <laughs> Yeah, grapes some grapes and, and some sugar and uh, whatever <laughs> right. wild yeasts and bacteria are hanging out on their skins. Wow, that's it. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, why don't we why don't we go to some Q and A here? I, oh, mean, cool. I, I, I was going to eat up the whole the whole show, but this is a cosmic queries after all. And mm-hmm. Chuck, yeah. you got the questions. I've never I haven't seen any of these questions. I don't think you have either. Is that right? Uh, uh, Ariel has not. I, right, I, right. I definitely not. Mm-hmm. No, uh, so I we're here have. to stump you. That's what oh, we're okay, trying to do. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll try my best. Okay. No, right, go for cool. it, Chuck. All right, so these are all Patreon patrons. And basically, let's go with um, KProfit32, who says, Hey, Dr. Johnson, why doesn't fermented food make you sick? It is essentially spoiled food. Also, Ooh. what is your take on kombucha? It makes me feel like garbage. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. <laughs> thank you for your answer. Love yeah, you, thank Neil. You. Have a nice day. <laughs> Have a nice day. <laughs> oh, man. Well, so, so if, if we're talking about spoilage, you know, some of that has actual, like, actually to do with safety, but then some of it also has to do with just definitions that, that we apply somewhat subjectively. So, I mean, if you if you smelled the smell of a like beautifully fermented camembert cheese, if you did not know it was supposed to smell that way, you would run away from it because, you know, it's a, a, we, had a, we had a magnet up at a shop I used to work at that said, what's that smell? It's either bad meat or good cheese. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. so context <laughs> is very important for this, but also- And, and some cheeses smell like gym socks too. Yes, you know, yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's a right. whole a whole uh, landscape. It's either gym socks you pick up with forceps and take mm-hmm. to the washing right. machine, or it's cheese and you spread it on cracker and eat it. Right, and exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the stinkier, the more expensive somehow. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, because it has to be very carefully uh, tended to achieve that that quality. Yeah. So yeah, so some of it is just you know aesthetic, but a lot of fermentation is just stuff that we've learned over thousands or millions of years to like intentionally you know keep in the right conditions and coax. Uh, what bacteria or fungi are growing on it so that, you know, from experience, it is actually safe for us. But so what you're saying is it's been trial and error historically mm-hmm. to eat some spoiled foods and it kills you and other spoiled foods don't kill you and they you develop a taste for it. Yeah. So we have... So, <laughs> so there's a lot of dead humans, <laughs> dead, dead humans. <laughs> who, who, get, who gave their life so that we could yeah. eat some stinky cheese. Precisely, precisely. Oh my gosh! I mean, th- think of it. Think of it as a uh, you know, millions to billions of person hours of R and D just so we can get these. That's that's what it is. Things. Yeah. And so, because if I put, I remember you do this experiment in elementary school. You take uh, some slices of bread, right. throw some water in the bread bag, and put it under the sink, right? Right. And mm-hmm. come back in a week, and it's mold growing on it. Yeah. And and I pay top dollar for Roquefort moldy mm-hmm. cheese, and I'm going to eat the cheese, but I'm not going to eat the mold on the bread. But could yeah. I eat the mold on the bread? I mean, would I say, um, hmm, this is tasty? I would... That sounds I like a no. I'm taking that as a no. <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I don't, I can't, I'm not sure that it would be actually dangerous, but I would not recommend it. Although well, there uh, are what? some, some Rogue 4 producers do like intentionally bake reds that become infected or cultured with penicillium molds and then use that to sort of kickstart the, right. uh, the cheese fermentation. Well, if you're, if you grow up in a household like mine and you have a great grandmother who was born at the turn of the last century, mm-hmm. Moldy bread just means this part gets cut out, yeah. and now, and now you got some good bread to it's eat. Good, good bread. <laughs> wow! So tell me about kombucha. Kombucha, about yeah. Well, so kombucha is. First of um, all, wait. Can you mm-hmm. please? What is it? Yes. Can you, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so kombucha is. I'm basically fermented tea. More technically, you start with a sweetened tea, so tea and sugar and water, and then you use a special culture of microbes called a SCOBY, a symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeasts. So it's alcohol-producing yeasts and acetic acid-producing bacteria that all live together. Basically, what happens is that the yeasts in the in the SCOBY ferment the sugars in the sweetened tea into alcohol, and then the acetic bacteria munch on that alcohol and create acetic acid, uh, which you might also know as vinegar. And the bacteria also make, they call them exopolysaccharides. It's basically like 
goop. So everything floats together in this sort of like mushroom-looking cellulose-based raft. Wait, wait, so what chemical is responsible for the hair that grows on your chest after you <laughs> drink this stuff? Yeah, and why? Which chemical is that? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing testosterone. <laughs> oh, <but> no, yeah. <laughs> and who wants to, why? What is why? this for? Well, why? It's a, it's a, it can be, when, when made correctly, tangy and fizzy and delicious. Uh, really? Yeah. I had it once. My brother served it to me once. It was like, he, I, you know, I, I didn't mind having it once. Mm-hmm. But okay. twice was so, not happening. Yeah, right. there's um, yeah, there's some bad renditions out there, but there are also very good uh, uh, renditions of it. So, no, he so, paid wait, money for it. He paid real mm-hmm. money for his stash. So yeah. you're saying that it is for? So first of all, I heard, I, I saw a video. I didn't hear. I saw mm-hmm. a video on YouTube, and the woman on the video was trying to show us how to make kombucha, mm-hmm. and her first step was. Well, you have to find somebody who has kombucha so that yeah. you can get their scoby. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's, I was it's, like, wait a minute. You don't get to do that. That's just like, I'm going to show you how to be a millionaire. The first thing you have to do is find somebody with a million dollars. Like, come on now. Okay. So, so Ariel, who is kombucha number one? Who is that person? Who is, who yeah. is the herb is it kombucha? Some, is it some Tibetan monk? <laughs> I, I believe a lot of people. probably <laughs> northern China, although I am not totally sure. But so there's some fermentations where like it'll just happen if you uh, if you like store it correctly. And some like kombucha or kefir is another is another one where yeah. some colony was established many, 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 many years ago and uh, worked so well that people held onto it and passed it. So we need a kombucha map where you can choose where you get your, where kombucha, you get your kombucha cocktail. Yeah. yeah. I think Ben Wolf at Tufts, he's a microbiologist who's pretty cool, is doing a like kombucha mapping thing. So he might be able to. Uh, okay, cool. And so now, all, now the, from a scientific standpoint, you as a doctor, Ariel, are well, all I mean, of a, these... a doctor of agricultural and environmental chemistry, not a, not a medical doctor. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, okay, that is clear. That's, don't uh-huh. worry. Don't worry. If no, somebody no, has a heart attack in a restaurant, I will not call you. <laughs> I have. I have given the Heimlich maneuver in a restaurant. Before. Okay, right on. Yeah. So, no, are any of the claims to these these fantastical claims that uh, kombucha supposedly these benefits are any of them true, or is it more lore? Well, like, I'm, well, actually, I'm, we I'm, need to take a break right there. But when oh, we come okay. back, we will find out from Ariel if kombucha has any health benefits at all. Is that where you're going with that? Yeah. Chuck? Okay. Mm. <laughs> right when we come back, Star Talk Cosmic Queries. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Look around. 
You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. I'm Joel Cherico, and I make pottery. You can see my pottery on my website, CosmicMugs.com. Cosmic Mugs, art that lets you taste the universe every day. And I support Star Talk on Patreon. This is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're back. Star Talk, Cosmic Queries. Chuck Nice. Hey, buddy. And I have Dr. Ariel Johnson, who's making her second appearance on Star Talk. We went into our Rolodex because she had first appeared live with us on stage. So thanks again for yeah, thank coming you. back. We're Cosmic Queries, pulling questions from our Patreon members. And we left off with a question about kombucha. And I've only been offered kombucha from health, from food health people. Right? Uh, <laughs> right, and they're making claims about it, and then I tasted it, and I say, "Okay, I'm not. I, the risk reward there is not <laughs> good enough for me. <laughs> Whatever is not helping me in life, uh, the taste of that is worse." All right, so um, can you could you just comment on why people drink it, and is it for flavor, or are they they're expecting some magic um, a healing to happen? Yeah, I mean. So personally, like I'm pretty skeptical of any like claims that that any food uh, is a is a panacea, you know. As as those are the kind of claims we get for a lot of foods now. Except except kale, kale, kale. <laughs> Come on, Ariel. Kale, Chuck, kale cures no. all. Chuck, Chuck, you know I'm done with kale. I'm ready for the next vegetable to come along. I'm, I'm ready. Okay, so go on. Oh, so to my knowledge, there's been. A- a few but not extensive studies of kombucha, particularly as a uh, as a probiotic. So, you know, our, our, our guts are full of bacteria. We have more bacterial cells in our body than human cells, and we, we use them to help us digest stuff and, uh, and stay healthy. So there's some idea that, uh, you know, bears out in data that kombucha can contribute live bacteria that is helpful to your gut. Okay. I, th- I think some people do... Do you drink it out of a sense of, you know, kind of a, an elixir uh, of, of health? I'm not sure that's borne out by any peer-reviewed science. And, and a lot of people actually do drink it for taste. I'm just saying, if there's if there's a lemonade in front of me and kombucha, I'm re- reaching for the lemonade. Right that's on. fair. No, that's totally fair. I mean, when um, while I was working at Noma, the restaurant in Copenhagen, we actually did a lot of... Uh, it's like com- one of the most famous restaurants in the world. Very, very. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, so I was working there as, yeah, I had, we, we had a uh, fermentation lab, but we made a lot of kombuchas specifically for the menu for flavor. So we'd use things like elderflower or like heirloom apples and things like that and would, you know, transform them to become acidic and uh, and tasty for things. Uh, yeah, so so it, is, it is definitely a, a, a flavor thing as well. So you're basically a food chemist. That's really what, what you Yeah, are. yeah. Right, so, right. I mean, my, my like track was food and wine chemistry and my dissertation focused on flavor chemistry. And that's mostly what I do now. I mean, you know, sort of publicly. Wow. <laughs> flavor chemistry. Yeah, yeah. It's well, my, uh, my that is. That is the best use of science I've heard. <laughs> Thank you. In, in, a lo- in a long time, in a long time. Let me just tell you right now, that is, that is stellar. Okay. Yeah, well, All right. Give me another one, Chuck. Here we go. Yeah. This is Matt, uh, Matt Harefield. And Matt says, I've heard about elephants and other mammals becoming intoxicated from consuming fermented fruit. How common is fermentation in the wild? Mm-hmm. And what causes it? Are mammals the only ones who partake? Hmm. Well, Good question. So, yeah. By, so, the, by, by the way, let me just very quickly. Um, there's a very cool uh, alcoholic squirrel in my neighborhood, <laughs> and you cannot. You and we only see him at Halloween. We had to stop leaving the pumpkins out because the squirrel. You know, you leave the pumpkin out for a while. A week later, mm. the pumpkin's still out there. Squirrel comes up, eats the pumpkin, and then you just see him kind of like. Wobbling around the neighborhood. He's just wobbling around the neighborhood like, yo, what's up? What's up? Hey, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? <laughs> hey, can I, you got any Lucy's? Can I get a dollar for some cigarettes? Can I get a dollar for some cigarettes? So anyway, go ahead. Time, Chuck time lives in the off. zoo, the Philadelphia Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> well, so 
pr pretty much any fermentation we do intentionally now started as like an accident or just sort of like the course of, of, of nature and, you know, the microbiome of wild microorganisms that are out living on things. So yes, spontaneous, spontaneous fer fermentation of fruits happens like all the time. You know, we're able, we're able to make wine because the yeasts that create alcohol actually live on the skins of grapes. I mean, now a lot of wine is made with inoculated yeast, but for, you know, most of the history of wine, which goes back at least 8,000 years, wow. was, a, was a, a, a wild fermentation with this yeast that was just But is there is there grapes. enough, okay, so the first fermentation is the yeast turning the grape sugars into alcohol. Mm -hmm. So if, is there enough alcohol in a fermented fruit to make mammals go shit-faced just Oh, by, yeah. Just by, I, yeah, I mean, you know, even uh, even a fruit that gets to like 2 or 3% alcohol, it can get much more alcoholic than that. Uh, if you're a, a small enough animal or you eat enough of it, can can make you quite tipsy. I've also heard the stories about elephants. I think there was a, um, there was like a TikTok video going around of a, a pigeon that had eaten too many fermented apples and was just sort of like lying right. face planted on the ground. Yeah, that was uh, Chuck's yeah. backyard. All these animals. Were. <laughs> every every animal in my backyard is is absolutely plastered. Okay. I think I think you might be feeding them intentionally for the uh, comedic effect. <laughs> okay, so you don't have to be a mammal because birds aren't mammals. No. But, yeah. Um, I I'm speculating here. This is getting getting sort of to the outer reaches of my specific knowledge, but I mean, you know, ethanol, ethyl alcohol, the product of alcoholic fermentation, you know, acts on central nervous systems and many animals' central nervous systems have a lot of stuff in common. So, you know... Uh, especially vertebrate animals, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I mean, other molecules like nicotine from, from tobacco work on, you know, various animals' nervous systems, including right. like insects, actually, but they don't, they don't have okay. vertebrae. But yeah, so cool. I would imagine most, most mammals can get plastered from, from fun fruit. Wow, okay. Nice. All right. All right, Chuck, give me another uh, one. Shoot, I'm ready to go get drunk with an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> elephant. Yeah. yeah. All, right. <laughs> All right. This is, uh, this is uh, Luke. Uh, I wonder if the elephants start telling jokes. Uh, where does a 900-pound like human sit? It's the 900-pound human in the middle of the room, guys. <laughs> I feel like they'd be very cuddly. That might be, that might be fun. Yeah. yeah. I, let me tell you something. That's Thank the scariest God. thing I've heard is an elephant trying to cuddle you. I, <laughs> let me tell you, I, I, I just see shades of mice and men. <laughs> the, <laughs> anyway, uh, Luke uh, Jibiki. Luke Jibiki says this, or Gebiki, one or the other. He says, I have a jar of pickled sausages that says it never needs refrigeration. How does that work without spoiling? Is it safe to eat? And for how long? So that's a great question because sometimes you think that those jars say that because they are vacuum packed mm. and that it doesn't need refrigeration for storage. But once you open it, perhaps you do. But what is the difference? Or I've, it, it, for me, I've never seen anything in vinegar that said must refrigerate. True. So vinegar must have yeah. some magic preserved have some, power. Yeah. yeah, acetic acid is quite toxic to most microorganisms. That's the active um, acid in vinegar. Yeah, so acetic acid itself is quite toxic, and the low pH also inhibits most most microbes. So really, it really is just a natural preservative. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if it's a if it's a jar, I, I don't, I can't tell. Well, just to be clear, but just to be clear, so. High acid gives mm -hmm. you the low pH, so that's yes, high acid one and the same gives you low thing. pH. Yeah, it's one um, and the same. It's not then, high acid and low pH. No, that is the same no. thing. Good. Well, actually, so technically, getting into some chemistry, the acetic acid molecule only about like one in ten thousand of them actually is acidic. The rest stays like fully together, non-dissociated and non-acidic. So the ones that give up a hydrogen ion or a proton to create mm -hmm. a low pH or acidity, that creates an inhospitable environment for spoilage microbes. But the whole undissociated, non-acidic, acetic acid molecule itself is, is also toxic. I think it interrupts the cell membrane of um, Oh, interesting. Of but that wouldn't then trigger the, 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 the litmus score for it, even the, if it is preservative. I see, I see. So, okay, so the acidity is not a direct measure of how much acetic acid is in it. They right. have, you need the activated molecules. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's like every every acid has its natural balance that it will that it will go okay. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So uh, um, when he says, "How does that work?" We just you just mm-hmm. said that. Is it yeah. how long is it safe to eat something that is stored that way? Well, I mean, so when you're when you're talking about especially like. Uh, preserved meats and things, you're getting into a concept called water activity. So like the more, the more acid, the more salt, uh, or the more sugar you have, the lower the available water is. So, I mean, that's why jam, which is just like, you know, spoilable fruits that you've added a lot of sugar to can sit in your cupboard for, you know, a year because there's just not enough free water for microbes to to do their thing. Interesting. That's I mean, with wild. stuff like that, there's probably a best way. Oh, so that's why that's why dried it. dried like beef jerky. Jerky. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's, beef it's jerky. Got, it's lost all liquid or dried salmon or yeah, any of this. Yeah, uh, lots of charcuterie and salumi. You know, things like pepperoni or uh, capicola, either whole muscles. Sorry, or, sorry, uh, Ariel. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I'm from Philadelphia. It's not Capricorn. Sorry, sorry. Gabagool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted sorry, to be but... intelligible to as many people as possible. Okay. Yes, I, also, I also ascribe to the school of Gabagool. Um, we, need, we, need, we need Chuck's hood to still understand the conversation. Okay. All, his peep, all his peeps back in the hood. Yeah, they would never sorry. let me. They would ne- nobody would ever let me live down Capicola. Well, I can't, okay? I can't yeah. let that happen. Well, let um, me invert the question. What mm-hmm. do you know is not turned off by the high acid vinegar Ooh. solution Ooh, that good. would still grow Ooh. regardless? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Just to invert the question. There's there's plenty of like extremophile microbes out there. So, you yeah, know, love so high like acid. The, yeah, high acid or high salt. You know, for, for the most part, if you're adding a lot of salts to stuff, that excludes most most microbes. But then like soy sauce, which usually ferment at like 12 to 20 percent salt, which is like super high. There's an extremophile yeast called Zygosaccharomyces ruxii that like loves that level of salt and actually contributes to the flavor. That's a badass name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah really let me let me hear that again. Oh, say it again. Uh, Zygosaccharomyces ruxii. Man, nice. <laughs> you know what? You just sound like you casted a spell on something. Very <laughs> <laughs> Harry spell Potter of soy spell. Sauce flavor. <laughs> <laughs> that was totally. That was a witch. That was a witch spell right there. Exactly. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so now, when you say that um, that that bacteria uh, loves it and mm-hmm. adds to the flavor. So mm-hmm. will it ultimately spoil the soy sauce or does it just enhance the soy sauce? That, that one's generally not a spoilage microbe. Okay. I, mean, I suppose like it just produces like alcohol and flavor molecules. Gotcha. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any really significant like high acid, high salt tolerant spoilage microbes. A real microbiologist might be mad at me right now for uh, for not identifying one, but mostly you don't have like a ton to worry about. And like what you should be looking out for, for like unrefrigerated things possibly going bad would be like off smells there or like visible mold. Visible mm-hmm. mold, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that should always be a sign. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I don't have a degree in anything <laughs> chemistry, but I'm pretty sure that's a good sign. You don't yeah. eat it. Well, I mean, you know, up until up until Pasteur, that's how everyone knew that, that something right. was going bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, hmm, this bread is hairy. Yeah. All right, <laughs> I'm gonna pass. All right, cool. Smart. All right, give me another one before we can go to break. Mm. Okay, all right. Hi, Ariel. Hi, Neil. Often we hear of uh, the words fermentation. Wait, did you say hi to you, Chuck? They did not. Oh, that's cold. That's yeah, that cold. is that is cold. That okay, is cold. who is it? Who's the person? Um, you know what? Here's the thing. They don't even... Oh, nope. There it is. Their, their, their name was on the previous page. It's uh, Avinov Abraham. So, okay. okay. Avinov Abraham. Who clearly doesn't like me. So but you know what? You know what? I I read everybody's question. It doesn't make a difference how you feel about that me. That is so sweet of you. I'm the Joe Biden of cosmic theories. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, here we go. Hi, Ariel. Hi, Neil. Often we hear of the words fermentation with regards to preserving food and making alcohol with the help of microorganisms. But what precautions 
are needed to take with respect to the fermentation process so that the next time I'm making my homemade wine, I don't end up creating some super bug that <laughs> that, that will uh, uh, further harm this current scenario. Or, or, so. or ferment the yeah. world. <laughs> right. Actually, uh, we, went, we just ran out of time, but we'll come back in the third segment. We'll lead off with the answer to that question on Star Talk Cosmic Queries, the fermentation condition. Hey, it's time to give a Patreon shout-out to the following Patreon patrons. Ryan Barato, Dan Snyder, and Sheila Hudson. Guys, you are the solid rocket fuel that propels us to the stars. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do the show without you. And for those of you who'd like your very own Patreon shout-out, please go to patreon.com slash startalkradio and support us. back. Cosmic Queries, food and fermentation. What does it all mean? Why do we do it? Uh, and we just blame Ariel for everything that's happening. Yay! <laughs> Ariel, uh, again, welcome back to our Star Talk family for this show. Chuck, always good to have you here. Always a pleasure. And, and so, Ariel, we, we, we left off with someone asking about yeasts gone mm-hmm. wild, I guess. You know, how do... You know, you can use it for some purpose, some contained purpose, but could they mutate? Could they become an infectious bug? There's all this fermenting going on where we think we're in control of the (laughs) microbes, but maybe one day the microbes will Mm. fight back. Rise up! (laughs) Well, for this is well outside the scope of the time that we have for anyone that's interested in getting into that much more like philosophically. Uh, Heather Paxson is a science and technology studies scholar at MIT and has really interesting work on what she calls microbiopolitics that talks a lot about this stuff. Whoa, that's a, yeah, that's yeah. a phrase? So, but getting back to the subject of the question. Well, so microorganisms are constantly mutating and evolving. I mean, you know, random mutation is what drives evolution and and microbes are constantly, you know, mutating and swapping genes and trying new stuff out to like better adapt to their environments. Um, so that's just going to happen mm-hmm. anyway. As as we are as we are currently yes. all living <laughs> we are, as we a are, reality uh, right now fitness for this particular <laughs> environmental stressor. And I just have to mm-hmm. clarify something cuz it it's it's a common uh, misconception. It's not that the bacteria are trying to survive by mm. experimenting. Mm. It's that they are always mm. experimenting. Right. And if you have a change in the environment, it kills yes. everything that yes. can't survive it. And so it's not like, oh, the environment changed, let me adapt. No, no nothing adapts. There's always built right. in some variation, and you live or die and the species adapts, but the yes. organism does not. Yeah, I guess right. that's the Definitely. point I want to make. Thank you. Drive home yeah, there. no, that's a good. Okay, good yeah, good. Uh, okay. random mutation is always happening. It's often bad for organisms, but occasionally it's randomly good. Yes, exactly. Although some, some microbes do mm-hmm. engage in horizontal gene transfer. I don't think there's any. That sounds painful. Yeah, <laughs> I, <was gonna> <laughs> yeah. I don't think I, there's I, any like choosing of what's good there. But it's Chuck, another, Chuck, give it's me some of your genes. To... Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm only in the vertical gene transfer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> just letting you know that. <laughs> good, it's good. good to know your uh, your boundaries. Um, so, so what could happen? So, yeah, I mean, so yes, yeasts yeasts will mutate, but I, I think probably in the course of a fermentation that you're doing at home or in a, in a winery, probably nothing's going to mutate to become like totally crazy and outside the bounds of anything you've seen. Right, and escape before. the winery, and then yeah, yeah. then we have maps of the zones. Yeah. You know, it'd be like like you know, World War Z, except for microbes. Yeah. I mean, if that were to happen in your homemade wine, it would happen on a piece of fruit out in the wild just as just as easily. If that's gotcha. somewhere that will happen, we're screwed anyway. But I mean, so Chuck, you of- get her, her answer is don't panic. <laughs> Everything is fine. There's nothing wrong. Not okay, right. that's exactly. <laughs> Very cool. I mean, actually with the with with in terms of like precautions for homemade wine, like what's more likely to happen is that the like balance of that, microbes that it- will Shift. Oh, and, and your wine will taste like crap. That's yes. what's really <laughs> yes, the more that's the, So, I mean, 
even even if you add like one strain of yeast to to something or one strain of bacteria, the the fermentation is going to involve many different species kind of forming and whole ecological system. So with uh, with wine, probably what's more likely to happen is that a a wild yeast, Britannomyces, or a uh, a bacteria will you know stay on for the ride and possibly make some off flavors you don't want. Or uh, if the wine is too exposed to oxygen, then you're going to get uh, acetic acid turning it into vinegar. Yeah. Mm, yeah Gen- okay. I mean, generally, alcoholic fermentations aren't super high risk. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, so we're safe continuing to make wine in your basement. I think without, so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, without like, ending the if world. It, if it gets so, moldy, so, throw it out. <laughs> yeah. So, well, now speaking of that, so what is mold wine then? Is it actually, yeah, is it actual mold? I've oh, heard of this mold, mold, mold wine. M- mold wine. M U L L E D. Right. To M O L D. Well, I mean, mold wine is. Okay, Chuck just got the wrong word, so you don't have to answer him. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Although, Chuck, no. Although, right, no, I'm Chuck, got, Chuck just got homonymed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> although, although, rice wines all start with a cultured mold, usually okay. an aspergillus species that has been mostly domesticated. Right on. Yeah. So. so what is mold wine, though? With a U or with an O? No, with a U. With a U. I mean, oh, the, it's the, a... the real wine, the real wine that they <laughs> real, call mold wine. Mold wine. I, yeah. It's, it's wine that you uh, heat up and add spices and sometimes fruit to. So I guess the... Okay, so that's what makes it. Okay, yeah, I got yeah. it. Yeah, so it's, no. uh, you know, the heat probably. And even the, you know, spices have antimicrobial compounds. So that would probably make it even less susceptible to mold with an O than... Okay, and just while we're on the subject of homemade... Uh, microbes. Uh, tell me about sourdough bread. Yeah, well, so sourdough, before the advent of commercial yeasts, most most breads had something like a sourdough starter. Sourdough is just a mixture of, of yeasts, lactic acid bacteria, and acetic bacteria, all of which can kind of live in, in wet grains. And by, you know, feeding them some flour and some, some water and letting them do their thing, they, they add some nice flavors to a dough that you make. More importantly, they create carbon dioxide as one of their waste products. So by kind of tending, tending this uh, farm of, of mixed microbes, you can cause your bread to rise in the oven, as you would with a commercial yeast, but with more, with more flavors. Okay. Mm, okay. Okay. So a little more flavorful and complex, I guess. That's it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so but this- wait, some people will say, "Oh, here's a sourdough from a recipe from my great great grandmother." Mm-hmm. Um, who cares? Why does that matter? <laughs> well, so um, I mean, like, dude, one yeah. aspect of it is that um, why is that a boast? Is why, that why when is it the like how you feed? So you start with a starter that you're constantly feeding. So kind of keeping it like an animal in in the zoo. So you're constantly, you know, every every day or every several days, adding adding flour and water to it. Gotcha. So so when you when you choose to do that, how much it has fermented from the previous batch before you add more, how much you throw out or like incorporate, and then Does how much water. Does it purify the strain? Is when um, you do this over generations and generations? I mean, it's it's always it's like pretty dynamic. So once. Uh, when you first add flour and water to a starter, there's more like, I think more yeast activity going on. And then as it gets older and more mature, it'll get more and more acidic. Mm-hmm. So so then when you when you feed it and then when the like number of hours that you let pass before between feeding and actually making it into bread can have like a huge effect on flavor and rise. Okay. So gotcha. So the protocol that you follow that your grandmother figured out can actually be... A pretty big deal. So this is the new title of a movie, The Sourdough Protocol. (laughs) 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 Nice. (laughs) A a, a new Mission Impossible. Yeah. Right. The Sourdough uh, Protocol. French bakers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. right, Chuck, give me another one. Here's uh, Joy Pinheiro Denise who says this. I love you guys, Dr. Tyson, Dr. Johnson. Oh, and Dr. Nice. Okay, see, ya? she's made up for. She made up for for the other uh, one. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So take that, Anivav. <laughs> 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 she goes. Um, my question is: Given the state of the world when it comes to land shortage for growing crops, is there a way to genetically produce an easily grown, hardy crop with high yield that contains the perfect amount of vitamins and minerals, amino acids, and proteins? Basically, a living version of what they eat in on the Nebuchadnezzar hovership in the <laughs> Matrix. 
Yes. By the way, she says, I know that's Neil's favorite movie. Thank you for saying that. So that's the scene where it comes out of the spigot and it looks kind of like, as they say in the movie, it looks like a pile of snot. And they're eating it. They say, oh, it's got all the amino acids and vitamins that a healthy body needs. So I'm curious about that. And it tastes like tasty wheat, right? Uh, Tastes yes. (laughs) I've been watching a lot of movies in in quarantine. So Ariel, uh, well, one other point here in the movie Deep Impact Okay, uh, I don't won't get into the details, but there's a scene where there's someone offloading. They're getting ready for the end of the world. Someone mm-hmm. offloading these groceries, and they're full of uh, little cans of Ensure. Mm. And so, if I understand it, the cans of Ensure, which are typically eaten by older people, right. are have all the protein and vitamins and minerals and carbohydrates you need. And and they come in a can, so they don't have to be refrigerated. Mm-hmm. So if the world is going to end, you want to fill your groceries. You know, don't leave the toilet paper alone. The other way, right. you can wipe yourself. <laughs> um, so my a good question is: Is there some garden mixture of of foods? Uh, let's assume you can't raise a cow. So garden mm-hmm. mixture of vegetables, where at a minimum size, one person can live off of that. Oh, was that the so two questions? One, um, one, one about, is the one, one is the crop. One is the crop. The crop yeah. and the other engineering is the crops and the, the minimum and, the minimum amount of garden space. I am not really sure what the minimum amount of garden space to translate into edible calories and nutrients mm-hmm. is. I know that, for example, like one one chestnut tree might be able to at maturity provide enough carbohydrates to keep one person fed for a year. I mean, I. Setting aside the apocalyptic scenarios where you would actually just have to have, you know, single cell protein, tasty wheat, mm-hmm. generally the most like nutritious and resilient systems that you should be trying to doing to plan for the apocalypse would be like fairly biodiverse ones. So like growing as many plants together as possible. You know, humans, humans are pretty interesting in their ability to like get nutrition from lots of different things. You know, we're omnivores, but we're omnivores that can make our diets out of nearly anything. So we, we interviewed the creator and founder of Soylent. Mm-hmm this liquid and this is this one you know it's your entire meal in a in a in a cup yeah and it's people <laughs> you can flip off I was yes. counting down the seconds to see how long it would take you. <laughs> you know, I this, had... no, this is Soylent Blue, not Soylent Green, oh, just okay. to make that clear. Right. No. So, but it's the worst part of people. <laughs> <laughs> so, what intrigued me was he can make the exact ingredients that you need, but he wanted mm. it to be more more friendly to the ecosystem and wanted to mm-hmm. uh, infuse it with sort of base amino acids from the as low on the food chain as he could go, mm. and I was very intrigued by that, as a, as at least as as a, as, a, as a goal. Yeah. Well, I know I know a, there's a lot of people interested in algae. Yeah, as, for example, exactly yeah, as sources of both proteins and and fats, because yeah, fats are actually pretty important dietarily, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. if you're eating a lot of protein. Yeah. So there's there's definitely a lot of research happening. Okay. We, we may be seeing a future where we, uh, you know, have gigantic tanks of algae that we then harvest and and eat. Now, now, now that's nasty. <laughs> <laughs> tanks of algae. Yeah. Please, sir. Well, I mean, that's got the, some more. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the most brutal version of oh, the yeah. uh, okay. yeah. food scenario. That, just kill me, okay? There's <laughs> a, that, I, I'm going on record. Just kill me. I don't. <laughs> That's a thin gruel I never want to have to eat. Yeah, the word the word vat and the word algae together in the same mm. sentence. I don't yeah, know. so nasty. <laughs> All right, Chuck, we got time maybe for one more question. Go. All right, let's get to a chemistry question from Douglas Stern, who says, has NASA used chemistry to ferment foods that astronauts eat in order to help them maintain better health while visiting the International Space Station? Or would consuming artificial supplements just be an easier route? Live long and prosper. Oh, nice. Mm. Nice. So what do you know about the IS? I can tell you what I know about it. Oh, yeah. I know a yeah. little bit, but you probably Yeah, Yeah, know. there are enough supply Ships to the ISS, they just wait for the burger to come up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, by the way, they're they're getting cosmic Uber Eats. They're getting cosmic Uber Eats at the ISS, buddy. Okay. 
<laughs> no, no. Space um, Grub Hub. That's what yeah. we're talking it's, about. It's the long-term voyages where they're really thinking about this, where you don't yeah, have a supply yeah. chain to it. You know, nine months to Mars, two months on location, coming back, you're away for three years. Right. So, I, yeah, I, I'm, so I don't know if they're leaning towards just preserved food or, you know, salt preserved, you know, desiccated food or, or um, the, the problem is liquid weighs a lot. Yes. Relative to other things. And so if you need a big vat of your pickles that were, and it's liquid holding them, mm-hmm. I don't know that that would be a first choice. Right. No, I mean, on the subject, I actually was, I guess in 2017, I went to a workshop at uh, Johnson Space Center specifically on like in Houston, o- open right. sourcing. Wait, no, Kennedy in, the one in Florida. Kennedy. Oh, Kennedy, that'd be Kennedy, Kennedy Space Center. Johnson. Yes. Yeah, Kennedy, okay. my mm-hmm. bad. About like sort of what open source could do to to think about food in food and space. So I know that, you know, they're they're doing plant growth experiments at at NASA, and they will actually like bring up seeds and water and grow, you know, f- four tomatoes and one strawberry, and that will be your. Uh, I mean, obviously, not a big nutritional component. Of it's, a start. Diet, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a start. It's, it's good for uh, morale. Yeah, it's a start. Um, it's a start. Yeah, yeah, really. and, and it's much better than a poop potato. So. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know, after after like you know however many weeks, I think those poop potatoes would start looking pretty good. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, as Pinocchio Let's, says in the original book, uh, hunger makes the best sauce. Indeed. <laughs> wow. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so in terms of like fermentation, I don't think NASA is doing much with, with fermentation, if only because they try to not send as many, uh, any, any microbes up into space. They try to sterilize things uh, to right, avoid right, right. contamination. Okay, that's very, very, very important and excellent point. I, I would think, but but uh, we got to wrap this up. Let me mm-hmm. end with a with a question: Is there are there fermentative? Um, is there a frontier of fermentation where you'll show up one day? Here's a newly fermented thing that didn't previously exist in the food catalogs. <laughs> Here is, mm-hmm. is it your you and your people do those kinds of experiments inventing foods. Yeah, well, I've I've actually done some work. I have I have friends at a company called Ginkgo Biowork. Uh, they are a like synthetic biology startup. They may have surpassed startup phase. They're doing quite well. But so what they do is engineer microbes to do interesting things. And they they had some cool strains of of yeasts, uh, some yeasts that were producing carotenoids, which are orange pigments in uh, in in flowers and grass and, and carrots that are actually the precursors to a lot of interesting like fruity flavors, and then also yeasts that were producing flavor molecules specifically. Okay, I, so Chuck, what she's saying there is that nature is insufficient <laughs> for our. <laughs> 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 yeah. There's some flavors we need. There's some um, we we're just doing do it ourselves. Yeah. Right? So um so they're. I, I and their creative director, uh, Christina Agapakis, who's pretty awesome, got together and we're making some fermented foods with these totally brand new, you know, su- super flavor molecule producing strains. Okay, so if you are don't exist the next time we invite you, it's because it's one of those experiments. <laughs> yeah. before, right? Okay. And we'll have created the uh, the super bug. That it's like out. try this. Yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> All right, we got we got to end it there, unfortunately. Okay. But uh, Ariel Johnson, very delighted to have you back on. Oh, delighted to be here. Uh, thanks and for all the great questions. We'll surely find another excuse to bring you back. Uh, Ch- Chuck, I'm glad we now uh, can pronounce words co- correctly as they do in Philadelphia. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still can't pronounce names correctly, but at least we know that Capicola <laughs> is Gabagool. 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 For life. Yeah. <laughs> all right. This has been Cosmic Queries, the fermentation edition. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, always bidding you to keep looking up. Uh-huh.